0: Nightcaps of the Living Dead.
1: The Fogged Lady.
0: Hey, you guys came back! Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to us. I am Jennifer Foster, and with me is Dr. Guillermo uh, Rodriguez. And Hello. am I supposed to roll my R's on you? That'd be so yes. weird if I just started doing that now in our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Anyways, um, thanks for coming back and listening to us. What movie are we doing this week?
1: Dun, 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 dun. Tell us. Oh, The Fog.
0: And you know I wrote in my notes I want Gearby to say this because I know he's going to be so dramatic about it but you were dramatic about it in the <laughs> other place you were like with them I'm like okay cool <laughs> <laughs> The point is I know you <laughs> <laughs> So we're are, we are going to be discussing the fog viewing that in 2020 and how uh we felt then and how we feel now how we interpreted those messages differently we're not talking about the reboot with a uh, little superman with tom welling who is very attractive oh. yeah have you seen this
1: i did you know what the whole time i was watching this i was like there's a remake and oh, i don't remember I anything have not. about it I <laughs>
0: have, well apparently imdb is rated like 3.8 or something so i have not seen that however we are talking about john carpenter's the Fog, starring Jamie Lee and her mama, Janet Lee. And I remember as a kid, um, I remember being new to Jamie Lee and Halloween and obsessed with all things of that. But I had no clue that Janet Lee was in this until this viewing.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. So you, like, forgot about... Totally this. forgot. I it. think this is the only time, other than Halloween H2O, that they were in a movie together.
0: Oh, I think that's so. so cool. Like, I mean, these two... Major scream queens having a moment in this movie. I just I love that so much.
1: So it's it's a it's a big deal because it's a an encounter that only happened because I think Janet Lee appears. So Janet Lee appears in Halloween HTO which came out in the mid nineties,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they have one scene together. I think maybe two scenes together in that movie.
0: What if her whole reason is like, oh, uh, I've worked with my daughter before. We just know There's only one of us <laughs> for the screen. We get one scene. <laughs> they're just both they're they're both so good um but they
1: don't oh wait 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 oh but fun fact they don't share wait do they share do they share a i was, scene I in, was movie? in the
0: fog yeah i was wondering that too
1: i mean i guess at the end they come together but there isn't really I, much of an interaction there's they not really they're don't. they're
0: very separate entities because they're all in the anyways well we'll get to that okay yes <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking tonight
1: g i am drinking Vanderpump Rosé. Oh my
0: god. Me too. We actually had this moment before we hit record. We're like, "What are you drink?" Oh, yep, we got the same bottle. So, on Weesh. at from the Top Gold Lounge in North Carolina to the Tiki Bar on Fairfax, we are drinking Vanderpump Rosé pretending that we are at an operating restaurant in Talking about our housewives and John yes. Um <laughs> maybe
1: maybe pomp, sir, oh,
0: pomp, and that beautiful garden, sir, Bandeau roses. Oh, so. and it's really good. It's a nice and dry, rosé. Um, so we are, uh, we have decided to do two episodes, back to back. One is the fog. The next is the dead zone. And Guillermo pointed out to me. Um, I think yesterday you texted me. You're like, oh my God, these are both produced by Deborah Hill. And I didn't know because... We we try to not to have minimal contact before we get on the podcast. We want to tell each other our notes uh, on the air. And that was the only thing, like, we're dying. We're usually like, oh, okay, oh my God, this scene. Oh, I wonder if he thinks this. Or okay, okay, all right. And so it's like really exciting for us to record this drunkenly. But um, he did text me that of just like, oh, Deborah Hill helmed both of these movies. And we really mm-hmm. try not to have. You know, a super connecting theme. I mean, even though we love our double features at the new Beverly, um, we try not to make it too similar, the movies and what we're comparing. But I just thought that was so cool that it was Deborah Hill. Um, So for those of you who don't know who Deborah Hill was, she was a power producer that worked um, a lot with John Carpenter, and they had a very close working relationship, and he really respected her, admired her. Um, She has such credits. I mean, she started as a PA and worked her way up and had had like every job until she became who she was. She worked on like uh, Escape from New York and Escape from Mm -hmm. L.A., Halloween 2 and 3, Adventures in Babysitting. I mean, she worked on some badass things. And she was one of those few that was extremely vocal back in the day about the lack of and the need for women directors and she was just awesome. So she passed away of colon cancer. So John Carpenter himself once said, quote, working with Hill was one of the greatest experiences of my life. She had a passion for not just movies about women or women's ideas, but films for everybody. I really like that.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. And also another, not only was she an amazing producer, and also think about it this way. We have a lot of movies produced today that have like five producers. Yes. Deborah Hill production was a Deborah Hill production. She was the only producer. She the was a soul, boss. A, she was the boss of that movie. And so, apparently very Which lovely. is very rare nowadays, I think. I agree. There's I didn't few, think about that. There's very few directors who work with the one producer. I'm actually Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson are probably they have the one producer. That is true. And David Lynch that's now Sabrina Sutherland. So yeah. um The role of the producer as the the sole creative partner of the director is Mm -hmm. very rare nowadays. But Mm -hmm. I think it's a very important, it's probably the reason behind many, many, many classic films. Hmm. So I think it's a very important and overlooked kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. So Deborah Hill was basically John Carpenter's producing buddy for many much of his early career
0: and and to what you just said i i find that really interesting of why a lot of these indies were so powerful because they were very specific because yeah you have so many people and especially the talent not saying anything's wrong with that like sure be the executive producer throw your name on it get some money don't care but when there's just a list of producers just throwing money and thinking that they have things to say as as far as script control and final edit and all that other stuff, it starts to get Frankensteined and really messy. And it's true to have one person be in your corner and really know you, that, that mm-hmm. they can help you execute the film that you want to make. Oh, I, I honestly did not know that about...
1: And she was just amazing. Also, she co-wrote both Halloween and The Fog with John Carpenter. So oh. she's half of the... Creative vision of that movie, not only as a producer but also as a writer. Huh. So. I saw
0: she's, that she was uh, an extra in there too. I was like, look at her! Like she's just <laughs> hustling to make it all work. I love it. <laughs> um,
1: and she she is credited to have written most of the dialogue in Halloween that pertains to the female characters, mm. so the girls, the girl talk, um, and also in. The fog. I think she probably has a lot to do with a lot of the that we have a lot of um, female leads in this mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. right? Which was probably very rare for the time as well. Yeah. So I agree on Deborah that. Deborah rocks. Deborah Hill.
0: <laughs> Deborah Hill. Um. So when was the last time that you have seen this? Oh,
1: so that's interesting. So i if i'm honest i had seen this a few months ago because it was on shutter mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm doing like a revisit of the revisit okay but my reaction was pretty much the same so i'm more, okay. more like confirming okay um so i don't know why this was one of the first movies i saw when the pandemic started and then I'm revisiting it now but i'm just kind of reconnecting with the same why do you ago.
0: why do you think that you sought that out at the beginning of the pandemic um, was it comforting was it just kind of did you think the I, mist and you went to the fog? You're like, what is the political commentary in this?
1: <laughs> what is happening here? Um, I think I just, it, you know what I got? I signed up to shutter when the pandemic started, I think up on your recommendation. Uh-huh. And it was one of the first things that popped in my thing. Oh. I was like, oh, I haven't seen this in but forever. Shutter, I need you to rewatch me. it. I love shutter. Like give me all the old eighties films. Yes. Um, so that's that was the reason. But before that, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw it, and I can't. But also, the first time I saw it, more than more importantly, in the '80s, um, and I want to say that I saw this movie on TV in a probably edited version, or maybe like an HBO type situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't watch it. Of course, I was way too young in the movie theater. It was definitely something I discovered after Halloween. So it's like, oh, I was a fan of Halloween. And then like other movies by John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. That that was my
0: thing too. Because I was like, oh, John Carpenter, I'm obsessed. What's going on? And I I just wanted to be in that world. I felt, you know, with his sound design and creepy, gritty feel. I I just, I was so into it. Um, I want to start off with. I want to ask you, do you happen to know what they think that the fog symbolizes or what they, what the filmmaker's intent was? Like, what is the fog about? Not what you think the fog is about. We'll get there. But what, when they set this out, what was uh, the mission statement?
1: Um, I mean, I, I probably have listened to a couple of like director, even producer, him and Deborah Hill talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um. But honestly, I don't remember exactly what they said. But the way I see it, mm-hmm. maybe I'm jumping. Tell over me, you know, the no, way tell I me, what it. does it mean to you? Um, it, this is their follow-up to Halloween. So, mm-hmm. on the heels of the success of Halloween, which became the most successful independent horror film mm-hmm. um, at the time, one of the the most successful independent film period. Mm-hmm. at the time, it's what put Deborah Hill and John Carpenter on the map. Yeah. They're like, We got something. We got
0: fire. We're doing this.
1: So this is their follow up. So this is them going like, Okay, we 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 made it. We had this huge hit. Let's try to do another one. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in a way, this is why you see a lot of the same actors from Halloween in this right.
2: movie. I, Nancy Loomis. Find, Nancy <laughs>
1: Loomis. Jamie Lee Jamie Curtis, Lee. of course. Charles Cypher, who played Nancy Loomis's dad and the sheriff in Halloween. Ugh. He's the guy at the... Like God, wouldn't station. it be cool
0: if Donald Pleasance just like showed up as a—I know—as a, I know, as a he's coastal the only one extra? Missing. Like, come on! <laughs> They'd be like, "Have you seen the sailor ghost?" He'd be like, "Yes, I saw him. I shot them six times." Like he he'd rock it. Um, well, I, I want to go right into the opening scene. Um, something I love about this movie is that it's only 80 minutes long. I feel like everybody should take that cue. You, you can tell mm-hmm. a story, pack a punch in 80 minutes. And I read after the fact that this opening sequence where it's the salty captain talking to the kids around the campfire about the, the fog and the curse of the town. And um, that mm-hmm. the sailors died at the bottom of the sea, all that stuff. I read that because it was too short for theatrical release, they added that scene. And I just thought, oh, oh yeah.
1: I did not know. I
0: this. was just like, I was such a nice little precursor. And he's setting up everything of why the fog rolls in and the sailors, you know, they saw this campfire from the beach and then the smoke and the, the mist intertwined, and then the boat crashed, and the guy is just talking about this grisly wreckage, like the, the mast snapped in half, and the sailors lay at the bottom of the sea, and the salt water filled their lungs. And okay, I'm going to take it down for a second. I'm going to make it a little sad, and then we're going to go right back to funky town. <laughs> we're going to go. Okay, okay. We are going to get right back on the horse and go to Funland, <laughs> Or, you know, uh, get on the haunted ship and... And terrorize Antonio Bay. But I thought of the scene when, I mean, during the scene when this guy was talking about dying on the ocean and the lungs, I thought of Allie. I thought of my friend Allie. Yeah, Uh you remember Allie. So, dear listeners, this is just gonna be a second. Um, It's important for us to remember this was almost a year ago to the day, it was last Labor Day. Um, there was a fire near the Channel Islands. It was a scuba diving boat, an expedition boat, it was called the Conception. It caught on fire in the middle of the ocean, and it killed 34 people. And one of them was my friend. She was the only crew member to die from this, and she was sleeping below deck with the passengers. And I think it was an electrical fire because of camera equipment, something charging, I don't know, there's, I think there's a lot of lawsuits and stuff going on about that. But anyways, Allie was in her mid-20s, and she was lovely and full of life and wonderful and always joked about being a pirate. <laughs> so just right off the bat, seeing this movie, I was like, oh, my God, this took me to a dark place and oh, I'm sitting at the bottom of the oh, ocean. Wow. Like it, yeah. it really did. So I just wanted to tell everybody that that happened a year ago in this California coastal town, which also I thought this movie took place in Maine when I saw it for the first time. And I think it's because of my Stephen King ah, <laughs> childhood. I'm just like, bad shit happens to people in Maine. <laughs> but um, yeah, so anyways, I thought of Allie and everybody, all those victims on the conception. And it's just a very sad thing. And just want to give her a shout out. So anyways, I'm going to lighten the mood <laughs> and talk about Stevie Wayne. Because the next scene... Before you go,
1: before you go. Oh, you go, okay, we're, tell we're, me. We're in Take, we're in take one, us out we're of the, one, take us out the things sadness. Things to say. Tell me. Um, no, I was saying, so this opening scene, the, the, where my mind went, okay. was more that, that the, the guy who's telling the, the campfire story, the salty he's telling captain? the children in a strange sort of way that they are guilty of this thing that happened. It was very oh. interesting. It was like a, um, what's that concept? Transgenerational trauma or transgenerational oh. guilt. Uh-huh. he's telling them, you guys are alive today and living in this town because of this horrible thing that happened. The sins of so your ancestors
0: this, kind of thing?
1: Yeah, the sense mm-hmm. of... So he's he, the the ghost story is not just about like getting them scared about the story itself, right? Mm-hmm. It's a campfire horror story. Mm-hmm. It's also telling them that there's a sense of guilt attached to it. That they are responsible for as the children of these people, it's kind of like a nightmare on Elm Street. Like, oh, you're the children of the people who killed Freddie, and mm-hmm. so you're also so. Oh, that's I an that interesting comparison,
0: yes.
1: And oh, especially yeah. because we have Stevie Wayne's son introducing this scene, he's mm-hmm. the like main person listening to the guy, right? So, um,
0: so it's just carried down, yes, so
1: it's carried down. So, immediately, there's this theme that I will come back to. Yeah. Okay. Again, this is why I latched on to it in my Okay. Reading of the guilt of the people who now live there who necessarily have nothing to do with what the people in the past did. They didn't mm. know what they, like why are you guilty of what your ancestors did? Oh. And that's a question I had that kind of came back in the movie a lot. These people huh. are being punished for people a long time their ancestors did.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: so, to me, that immediately becomes an allegory for the United States. Of
0: course. Of course. And I have and things to say about that statue unveiling. <laughs> I mean. Yes.
1: And the massacre of Native Americans. Yeah. And, among, and the slavery and all this stuff. That but dare we acknowledge away. it? Do we acknowledge
0: <laughs> it? Did it happen? I mean, oh, God. Yeah, there's a whole thing I want to talk about on that. Um, do you want to get into Stevie Wayne? Or do you yes. Have some? No, let's get just Stevie Wayne. Let's yes, go to
1: sorry. Stevie Wayne. Stevie Wayne it up.
0: Can you give me your best Stevie Wayne impression?
1: Hello, Antonio Bay. It's the witching hour, and the fog is rolling in.
0: <laughs> I love. That. don't disappoint you do not disappoint
1: our listeners should know that the reason this podcast exists is because of this movie right we talked about this we did we did (laughs) <laughs> Adrian Barbeau's performance in this movie, and this is the reason we like everything radio, podcast, and voices in the middle yes. of the night. Voice. She talks like this; it's amazing.
0: So I don't. I did not delve deep into the research she did for the role. But did you know this? That she uh, based it on a oh, 60s no, nighttime. But I have. But I
1: have oh, oh, I have things to say about things. So yes. Yeah, so keep going. Yeah. Yes.
0: So she. Um, i'm sorry i just got a text from jack because i was telling him his pizza was amazing he's like there's so much wine in that pizza sauce that's why so i might be a oh. little extra in this episode
1: <laughs> you have extra <laughs> sauce extra. in your
0: <laughs> well i guess i guess we just found the name of our podcast <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Stevie Wayne, we love her. Uh, she, uh, Adrienne Barbeau, who was married to John Carpenter, correct?
1: Yes. This is John Carpenter's wife and the mother of his now. So, John Carpenter has a son with Adrian Barbeau, who is now his the person that he does the music with. So, his co, what do you call that? Co-composer.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: his name is Cody Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And him and his dad composed the soundtrack for the new Halloween movies.
0: Oh, and so yeah. The and-
1: one... The 2018 sequel, and then the new one that was supposed to come out this year that was shot in North Carolina. Oh yeah, props! Um, Halloween up? Kills. So Cody Carpenter is now the co-composer with his dad. So Cody's the musicians. co. Cody's the co-composer. Is the co?
0: Cody. Cody Carpenter's that, the co-compo. Co- I can't do it. Cody yes. Carpenter is the co-co composer in North Carolina. Of, <laughs> in
1: North Carolina. I'm trying to do it. And that's twister. his mom. Andrew Barbeau, who was probably conceived around this time, I think. Oh,
0: it was conceived in the fog. Yes. So, Stevie Wayne, I read that she based this character off this nighttime, sexy 60s DJ. That in the middle of the night, like, she's just so over-sexualized. Because this entire time, I'm like, this voice is so funny to me. Like it's it's sexy and it goes into uh, ASMR culture. Like you know how mm-hmm. on YouTube everybody is obsessed of like, you know, just say k kuh, kuh, kuh. just an hour of people making soft sounds, or, or you know, ripping up paper and stuff like that, and some people find it very soothing. For me, I think I have just too much frantic energy and things to do. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what is this? like can you just shred that? What's happening? <laughs> so, um, anyways, her voice is such a character of its own. Like she, you have the woman with this child and this lighthouse keeper. And then you have her alter ego in a weird way of she's at the the top of the her world.
1: Eric, her Erica Jane.
0: <laughs> it always comes back to Erica Jane. <laughs> <laughs> so she is in the lighthouse as her sexy um, role as the DJ and and it's so funny because they cut to these scenes and these guys are just like clearly spanking it to her voice. They, she's, she has that night shift because she's alluring and sexy and talking to them that way. But you see that there are certain scenes where she makes it a point to show like, okay, I have to be in character and really you see her vocal Mm -hmm. cords in her neck straining. of like, okay, this is what's expected me. This is what I have to do. Whatever. So, um, Anyways, it's almost like her voice says, I was just hired in a madman style office and here are my perky tits in my low
1: cut dress. <laughs> Wait, but I have a counter to that. Okay. Because one of the things I noticed is a couple of things. She says... Um, this sure beats Chicago. So we have this Chicago ghost backstory that we, is never brought back I in the I
0: know. Movie. I remember that. So, it's like, are we supposed to think you're just a city gal and you're in California and maybe you just have a different mentality or that, yes. that you were so, harassed in Chicago, that something bad something, happened in Chicago? Well,
1: here's what I, when she says that and she looks at the, I think she's looking at the sea and she's like, this sure beats Chicago. They also show... Some newspaper clippings, I don't know if it's in this scene or around this scene, that she basically owns this radio station.
0: I mean, yeah, the, the girl has money. Clothing. And then she comes and she buys this lighthouse. Like
1: she owns. She the bought lighthouse. the lighthouse, she owns the station. She mentioned it a couple of times. And so she she had
0: no her. Mr. Eric Girardi, as far as I'm concerned. No,
1: she's <laughs> a single mom and she left Chicago. And where is Andy's dad? We don't know. Interesting. But she is an independent woman. Mm-hmm. Something happened to her. Mm-hmm. She decided to move into this California coastal town mm-hmm. to make it work. And she owns her own business. So right. at the same time that you're saying that she's kind of selling herself in this kind of sexual way. Mm-hmm. Which she, this is why she has that flirty relationship, yet inappropriate with the weather guy, the weather man.
0: Oh, yeah. To get what she needs. Yeah.
1: So, is, so she's always like, oh, I'm a, my. What's this? She says, my. They have this like exchange where he's like, oh, we should have dinner. And he's like, no, my type of relationship is a voice on the phone or something like that. Right.
0: Um, sh- did they have phone that. sex lines in 1980 yet? Or did that happen later in the mid 80s? Phone sex lines, remember like 1 800, hot oh, teen, you know, I, all that? Was that later in the Maybe it was.
1: I think it was later, but maybe this was
0: like on the part cusp of, the of that movement of that.
1: The, be- the yeah huh um so but the, the the part that i thought was interesting is that she's a single mom she came from chicago something happened in chicago mm-hmm. that she decided to move away mm-hmm. she owns this business but she also keeps herself distant from everyone she I, has no interaction with everyone i, in I that noticed movie that as other well. than through the voice
0: Yeah, I noticed that as well. I thought that this is the story, I mean, besides Sailor Ghost, kind of Pirates of the Caribbean vibe of, you know, all that. But besides that, I was like, this is the story of an isolated woman. It mm-hmm. is. She is running from something, but yet she kind of owns it. She bought this light tower. Like everybody, leave me the fuck alone. I have this job, and to sexualize her voice, I mean, she's not prostituting herself in any kind of way, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. if you were a sex worker. I'm just saying uh, that all of these were her choices, and they are just very not um, conventional choices at the time.
1: Exactly. So, and also, she never reunites. With her son in the movie, which I thought was an interesting choice, she's worried about him. She's that there's this whole segment about her trying to like, oh, make sure my son is trapped, and da, da, da. Mm-hmm. There's never a reconciliation between because this is not what the movie's about.
0: Right? Yeah, they keep so it. Mm-hmm.
1: I thought, but I always find that very interesting that we don't need her to find her son and hug him and you're okay yes. no one ever tells her this. she's not that sacrificing okay.
0: herself for the son like she's asking her listeners later on it's just okay if you see him if you hear it, like i live at this place he's in trouble like she totally yells out to her fans to help her help him because she knows she has that power and it's almost like free britney <laughs> 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 the fans are like, blink once if you're in trouble, Brittany, wear black yeah. if if you want to be free. I mean, there's so many conspiracies around that one. But I just thought it's uh, interesting about the power of a single woman and a single mother at that. And she can still be deemed as sexy. She knows that she has like little hats to wear, mm-hmm. but um, they're all at her own willingness. Like, Willing, she's, yeah. yeah. And
1: she just, remember, she it has this whole moment where she talks to her son through the radio not knowing that he's listening mm-hmm. about the reason why she can't leave her post right so she's she she decides that she's her role is to be this voice in the night helping people direct them through the fog tell them where exactly. the fog is and so forth
0: she made a, a it, choice at that moment of you know a, a dumb trope would be okay I have to go save my son this is the role exactly, of the heroine yeah. but instead she's like Sorry, buddy. Uh, logistically, somebody else can get to you quicker. <laughs> and also, I want to be the voice to the, yes. to notify everybody about what's going down, so more people don't die. And I thought that was a very interesting choice for that time, for 1980. You know. And
1: she never, you know, she ne- they never. Her son never tells her that he's alive, and no. she never finds out that he's okay. Yeah, for all she but knows. That does, that's not. That doesn't matter for this s- storytelling. No. No. And it's interesting because like you said another movie would be like oh mother and son. Nah, right. nah, nah, nah. It's like that's f- not that movie. Or whatever.
0: Which as but we now, know by the introduction of Miss Jamie Lee Curtis who she's hitchhiking her pretty little butt down the road.
1: <laughs> so I have things to say about that. Wait before we go there I did want to talk about the opening credit sequence where you see all sorts of things going, kind of haywire.
0: Oh, shit's dropping. The phones are ringing. The car car alarms are going off. And then John um, Can, uh, John Carpenter has a sweet little Hitchcock cameo, and the
2: yeah, like right
0: off the bat, like you don't let us time. You don't let us have time to watch the movie and kind of spot you in the crowd. He is this tiny character in the opening scene.
1: So, well, two things: the John Carpenter cameo. First of all, the priest apparently is not paying him a fair wage, mm-hmm. and he like asks about his money, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Well, why don't you come in later tomorrow?" While well, he's boozing it up, are you hinting Boozy at sexual priest.
0: favors? Is this a, a sassy priest?
1: I don't know, but it was like, "Well, John Carpenter is not getting paid right." Like, come he's out of here. Pay him what you owe him. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, better get his money. Yes. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was interesting that the cameo that he chooses to have is about a low pay, like the the church. Oh, we see, oh.
2: Oh, what did you realize? The
1: church is not paying this guy John Carpenter's cameo. The, has his rightfully owned? wage but then they have a fucking gold cross mm-hmm. hidden behind the walls uh-huh.
2: a little so contradiction there there's something there. to be said
1: about there's a, there's an economic component to this storyline right mm-hmm. related to this whole guilt thing so I don't know I'm just riffing here but okay. I did notice that there was a theme of the fact that he's not being paid what he should mm-hmm. and you know as John Carpenter director of the movie and right. people would recognize him so that's going to come back okay the other thing was the opening credit sequence that shows all the like different like desolate settings with no people Mm -hmm. where like some sort of electronic thing goes haywire Mm -hmm. there's like a little earthquake in the convenience store the the alarms going off um the wasting of gas i thought that was a very interesting where the the gas station, the thing comes off, and there's like just like spewing gas, and the meter goes off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I thought, is Mercury retrograde? What's going on here? Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> electronics going haywire? Things I know are what that's crazy. about. Um, and then. Um, I thought then there's that weird chair moving, and Nancy Loomis's, aka Annie from Halloween's house, which
0: was also a poltergeist move, by the way. That chair slid.
1: Episode one and two with episode three.
0: Oh, there we go. We got the threads to hold. There's a
1: poltergeist in Annie's. Well, Nancy, what's her name in this movie? I I (laughs) I know, it was just
0: Nancy Loomis Annie. I, I was just like Halloween actress, that girl.
1: So this movie features. Other actors from the Halloween sequels, um, is in particular, um, the lead—I guess he's the lead male, potentially romantic lead of Halloween Two. He uh-huh. played Jimmy, the the nurse, the nurse boy that Jamie Lee kind of fawns over or has. Wait, which Tom Atkins? No, who, no, no. Who? This is Lance Guest from Halloween Two. Huh. He's he's. The kid, he's really okay. Remember Halloween Two? Jamie Lee's at the hospital. She's in the hospital,
0: yeah, with her wig. And there's
1: this nurse with her wig, yeah, and then there's this like cute young nurse, uh huh, who like is taking care of her, who like slips on the blood of the oh, main nurse. Oh yeah,
0: and yes, yes, he yes, survives yes, the
1: movie with her. He's the only one with her at the. In oh the, wow!
0: Yeah, I was just camera. like, oh, it's just Jamie Lee and Nancy Loomis. I thought those were the two actors.
1: So he plays one of the. Um, sailors who's in that one boat. He only appears in the opening sequence, or mm-hmm. well, I guess second sequence. Remember that uh Stevie Wayne kind of warns these sailors who are in this one boat. I guess they're not sailors. I don't know what you call no, them, just, it's that one whatever boat yeah. that gets invaded by the ghost ship. Like fishermen. So he's the young guy who gets killed. He was like he always has like, the, like if water effect over his face. Mm-hmm. Um, the two older guys get killed outside mm-hmm. when they face the ghost ship men, and mm-hmm. he's the one that's inside that gets killed last. Mm-hmm. So he's the male lead of Halloween 2. No. And then Tom Atkins I didn't realize that.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, you dropped some knowledge of, on me.
1: Yes. And then Tom Atkins was Tom Atkins. Um, the guy I forget what his character's name is in this movie. I, the guy who picks up Jamie Lee.
0: You know me. I'm I'm all so Jamie Lee did this and Tom Atkins and Hal Holbrook shows up. Like I exactly. don't even remember yeah, exactly. the characters.
1: Um, so he's the lead of Halloween three, which is the non sequel that the, the non related to Michael Myers. Sequel. Mm-hmm.
0: So John Carpenter's There's, loyal to his actors, which I really appreciate. I think that's very cool.
1: So yeah, he 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 has a whole Halloween family cast of, there. Candy cane coming on out here. I mean, if you think about it, you know
0: how these people work. You can rely on them, you trust each other. I think that's really awesome. It's a cool element. So, the
1: other thing I wanted to talk about is oh, you wanted to talk about Jamie Lee. So oh, now yes, that we know girl. That I want
0: to is, talk about Jamie hitchhiking.
1: I want to talk about Jay Hitchhiker <sighs> Jamie Lee.
0: First, yeah.
1: So, the first thing that you notice is that As many times, this is a testament to Jamie Lee's brilliant powers as an actress. Mm -hmm. You never think of her. And this movie came out like barely a year or two after Halloween. Mm -hmm. You never, she's a completely different role Mm -hmm. in this movie. Yeah, And you don't really, I mean, in my young brain, I never, all these actors that were in both movies, Mm -hmm. like Charles Cyphers, who played Sheriff, what's his name? Sheriff... the sheriff in yeah, Halloween. Yeah. Nancy Loomis' is that. Right. Um, he, I didn't realize that all these people who were in Halloween are also in this movie who were in Halloween 2 and 3.
2: Yeah.
1: So they're all acting, performing such different roles mm-hmm. that I never made the connect. I never, swear to God, even though we all love Jamie Lee, I never realized that Jamie Lee was in this movie when I was young. Oh, yeah. To me, I have Laurie Strode and this character, and they don't look alike at uh-huh. all. And they don't sound alike. And right. she looks very different in both roles. Right. So total transformation from one role to the other. Mm-hmm. So kudos to Jamie Lee. She's awesome. Um, For being an awesome She's actress. She's
0: incredible, and um, in which, of course, in October, <laughs> we're going to cover the most recent oh I hear the bottle going get that yes, rosy yes <laughs> get me
1: some banda pop so
0: yeah in October we're definitely covering the most recent Halloween and hopefully Halloween Kills will be
1: exactly, out in the world by it then it yeah. in this pandemic.
0: so I agree Jamie Lee is just iconic she's a wonderful actress and just what a figure I I, I love her so much Um, she's hitchhiking <laughs> down the road she meets up with tom atkins he picks her up and the first thing she asks like she's a little you know you you think oh she's this woman and she's alone she's sussing this out it's the middle of the night and the first thing she says to him she's like are you weird and he Mm -hmm. just looks at her and says yes yes i am weird and then I just have that tension with now with 2020 eyes of I could never 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 hitchhike never. Do- I have no want or need to do it. I know how to walk. <laughs> if I have to get somewhere, I have transportation. But I just I feel like it's so dangerous. But I think it was such a statement. Um, for her character and a testament to the times, uh, she's just gonna be adventurous and she's gonna do this shit. And if she gets killed, who cares? She can handle her own. Like it's a kind of a baller attitude, very cavalier. Mm-hmm. And so, in this guy, I'm just like, oh my god, are you sussing out? You're gonna get raped, girl. He he's just like, yep, yes, I am. And then she's like, okay, good, yeah. I thank God. I love weird people. Like oh, the last guy I rode with was so boring. So you you get this you know, idea of who she is. And then they cut to, I think the next scene that they're in, I don't know if it's immediately after, but whenever they revisit those two, they fucked and they don't know each other's Mm. name. They're just like, Oh, we didn't cover this. Who are you? (laughs) Which is why you couldn't remember Tom Atkins name is what I
1: think. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But I, even though I don't remember Tom Atkins name, I do remember her name. And this is my huge point about this movie. So this is the dots that I was connecting as I was going on. So as we already discussed, um, there's this kind of mysterious backstory to Stevie Wayne. And I wrote, what happened in Chicago? What drove her to move to this coastal town in, I think it's Northern California? Mm -hmm. So there's all this strange thing about the backstory of the female characters in this movie. We we don't really know where they came from or what's going on. Well, yeah, we have to accept
0: things at present value, which is interesting because the entire, you know, foundation of the story is what you mentioned, transgenerational curses and grief. And like we know the the backbone of these sailors and the grisly details of the ship. But yeah, who the fuck are these people? What town is this?
1: what, (laughs) What are they doing? So, well, here's the shocking thing that I reckon that I found out. Okay. In my 2020 revision. <laughs> so Jamie Lee has the same name as the ghost ship.
0: <gasps> what? Did
1: you did you not realize this? No, oh, I did this, not know this. This know is what this. I realized when I first watched it in Shutter 3 months ago.
0: Oh my then, god.
1: So Oh, and this is where I get deep.
0: Okay, get deep so on So her me. name
1: is Elizabeth. I'm going to drink my wine to the name of this. the ship is Elizabeth Dane. Elizabeth Dane,
0: Dane. yes. Um, and <gasps> this
1: is very deliberate, of course. Of
0: course. So well, I also, I, also I, I noticed later in a scene, too, she walks by these ships, and one of them's called the Laura. I'm like, mm-hmm, uh-huh, Laurie Strode, mm-hmm. shout out. Like, Laurie. everything's very purposeful in this movie. Yes. I did yes. not get that, and that's so glaringly obvious. God damn it. So,
1: and... The reason I know this is very strongly in the subtext of the screenplay is because of that scene where they where they fuck and they're tr- they're discussing the fact that they never learned each other's name. This is when you learn that her name is Elizabeth.
2: Wow. This whole
1: scene's purpose is to reveal her name to the audience so that we can remember wow. Elizabeth. And then right after, we learn that the ship's name is Elizabeth Dane. So, I, I think this goes to my psychology,
0: though. Like, my I was taking this in of really, you're on that ride the entire time, and then she took another ride, and then it's just like the names were not discussed. I was so wrapped in that that I missed the crucial point.
1: Yes, wow, I, I, I believe that is the crucial point, huh? And so, the whole movie, I'm like, this is where my mind went. So, okay, so she rolls in and she points these points to. Makes this point several times. I was like, oh, ever since I showed up, shit started going wrong for you. She says this to Tom Atkins several times. Like, oh, I get into your car. And then they have that weird accident where all their windows explode. Right. They don't know what's happening. And everybody's driving around with the
0: blown out windows.
1: Yeah. And so she keeps mentioning everything. Since I show up, all this fucked up shit is happening to you. Like dead bodies in your boat and all this stuff. So she rolls in into town at the same time that the Ghost ship does. Mm. So there's a connection between Jamie Lee appearing in this town Mm -hmm. and the ghost ship coming back. So she's Mm -hmm. connected to whatever the fuck is going on with the fog and everything. Okay. So my thought, my PhD thoughts went into that the fact this movie might be inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, Mm -hmm. which has a similar. Set up.
2: Yeah. It's
1: a California coastal town. Uh-huh. Looks very similar to the coastal town in the birds. And if you if you remember, huh. the birds is a movie about this woman who comes into this town, and then because she came in, right. the birds attacks start happening. And there's like a strange subtextual connection between the bird attack and right. Melanie showing in town.
2: Huh.
1: And so and if you don't know, Melanie was played by Tippy Hedron, who is Melanie Griffith's So she plays Melanie in the movie, but and, Melanie Griffith is yeah. his mom. Um,
0: so he was just like, okay, well, Janet Lee will work
1: with me. Exactly. <laughs> so then the Janet Lee's in this movie yes. with the Hitchcock reference yeah, is kind yeah. of doubled, who also happens to be Jamie Lee's mom. So and she also these, like, shows weird... up
0: wearing this uh, pencil skirt. I mean, kind of a nod to Tippi and, in a way now that you say that.
1: And yes. the hair, the hair is very yes. typical, right? Yeah. I think so, this is an amazing I
0: think, observation.
1: I think huh. this is a secret birds remake. Huh. Where the Jamie Lee character is the tetrahedron, arrival outsider to a town, and there All is a right. strange connection between the supernatural happenings okay. and the lead actress who disrupts the whatever is going on in a town. Mm-hmm. And she always gets blamed. If you remember the birds, she always gets blamed. for. Well, because
0: happening. women get blamed for everything. Exactly. And you know what we show and we make things exciting. <laughs> That's it. This would be a sleepy ass town if it weren't for these women, whatever.
1: But this is, I guess, 20 years after the birds, somewhat 20 or 17 years. Birds came out in 1963. These came mm-hmm. out in 1980. Mm-hmm. So I think this is Deborah Hills kind of, reworking of this plot line of the birds hmm. because in this version I find that the, both Stevie Wayne and Jamie Lee are very strong female characters who don't have to explain their past mm-hmm. as opposed to being the blamed for the wrong that's happening. There's something different about the way th- there is that connection between okay she, she's Elizabeth she's like the boat mm-hmm. but then I don't know. I, I maybe I don't know what how you thought about it, but she's. That connection kind of doesn't...
0: I didn't make the birds connection initially, but now that you talk about it, I'm like, oh, I could totally see that. But yeah, it's... But once again, this was a shorter movie and they needed to add more scenes to it. So they did have opportunities to say, oh, well, we could flesh out this backstory a little bit more, but they didn't. They added the they grizzly did. captain in the beginning instead. They made it more about the sailors. So I like, they're just like, don't ask these women where they come from, who they are. You got to love them.
1: You, know? <laughs> you gotta love them and it's just it's just little things that get thrown in. So one of the lines that she says is things seems to happen to me, I'm bad luck. So Jamie I, Lee self-deprecatingly I
0: do wanna expand on that. Okay, so I wanna talk about cursed objects, omens, superstitions. There are several times in this movie where um Jamie Lee she says, Oh, things just happen to me or things follow me around, you know kind of alluding to the fog or to curses, which, whichever. And Tom Atkins, is he straight up says, I don't believe in anything. I'm like, okay, well, mm-hmm. all right. That's that's a view to take. Okay. And then it goes to Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis. Um, when they're flitting about town, they go to the church and they knock on the door and they say the, these things of like, oh, that's not a good sign. I'm like, yeah, no shit, lady. This is a church and the door's halfway open. You go in and there's a creepy vibe. But yeah, it's not a good sign. But they say it twice within five minutes of each other. Um, and I noticed, like, the, the reoccurring theme of, like, there's the coin, that I think it mm-hmm. it becomes the gold clock or something, or, like, a pocket watch, and then ultimately the cross. I mean, there there's, like, this thing with a cursed object transforming and people coveting it, in my opinion.
1: Um, yes, yes. No, I saw the same. It's, I, th- I, I like your connection between... The gold watch from the old guy uh-huh. at the beginning of the movie, and then the coin, yeah, and then the cross. So there's like three or four gold objects that are. Yeah, it's just like do they kind of transfuse?
0: Connected? I mean, with your theory of the transgenerational curses, so. like so it I melts into is... each other.
1: So I, when I think of all these things, oh, actually, this goes into my comment. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the story that the Father Malone, a.k.a. Hal Holbrook... Uh,
0: which I could look at his face all day. Wasn't he nominated
1: for an Oscar for Into, I'm the, sh- Woods? So into the, in the, the Woods? Not for Into the Woods. What the fuck is that movie close? <laughs> I'm gonna You look
0: know look what this I'm up. talking about? You tell Amy me about, about the father, and I'm going to look this up. Oh, you mean Into the Wild? Into the Wild, yeah, sorry. Into the Wild. You just put Hal Holbrook in a musical. This man is... <laughs>
1: A, I was like, "Why movie. are you referencing Not this?" Not the Meryl Streep musical.
0: Oh my god! No, yeah, the awesome <laughs> Emil Hirsch Alaska movie based on that true yes, story. Yes. Oh yes. my
1: god! That's the last movie I remember him in. So. Well,
0: <laughs> somewhat remember him in his Oscar-worthy <laughs> performance wasn't good enough for you to remember <laughs> that he wasn't in a musical. <laughs> but tell so, me, tell me about his father.
1: So he. Is you know finds his diary from the founding f- from the is it Blake or I don't know. Blake is the guy who's who's who was his own ancestor, another mm-hmm. Malone, mm-hmm. I forget his name. Um, and so he realizes that, and this is with the part that I kind of latched onto there's a lot of characters in this movie who are telling stories. In fact, the beginning of the movie is his campfire story,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so it. Father Malone is telling um, Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis the story mm-hmm. of what he found in his diary mm-hmm. at this moment. So what I got, so there's a lot of storytelling by the men in this movie. Mm-hmm. So whereas the women, we don't know their backstories, right? So we don't know the women's stories, but we know the men's stories. So I which this which holds
0: up today? Story. Like we know about men more so than. You know.
1: We know about women. Which and is so why it's
0: important to shout out Deborah Hill.
1: And, exactly. But I think and she's Allie making Kurtz. a comment on this.
0: Yeah. Because
1: that's true. these men are telling stories and the women are mysterious. Right. Oh this beats Chicago but what the fuck happened I wanted to know what happened in Chicago I want to know where Jamie Lee was coming from why does she need to get to fucking Vancouver she briefly said something like on? oh
0: I'm going to Pasadena just so la-di-da she's like I was in San Diego and I'm going to Pasadena all these locations what, was it in Vancouver I thought it was Vancouver oh I didn't get that I thought it was San Diego I
1: it was just like Cali she kid going, she was coming from San Diego but I thought she was going up to, to Vancouver, Vancouver so she's midway huh.
0: there well the whole point is that these women are defining their backstory by cities and locations, just to kind of distract the viewer of, oh, this is where I'm from, or what was I doing here? But they don't relay anything personal as to, you know. They just
1: say, I came. This is a good point. Mm-hmm. Chicago, California, mm-hmm. San Diego, Vancouver, they're in mm-hmm. transition. They went from A to B, mm-hmm. so there is a connection between Stevie Wayne and Jamie Lee's mm-hmm. Elizabeth character. Interesting, right. right? Yet we don't know their story; they never tell it to us. Nope. But we know Father Malone's story.
0: Let's talk about Father or Malone. Another Malone. Malone.
1: <laughs> so he, when um, Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis go visit him mm-hmm. at the church. He tells them the story of what he found in the diary that was written by one of his ancestors, which is basically the backstory of the boat,
2: Mm -hmm. right?
1: The Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Dane and Mm -hmm. what happened. All right, And it's connected to the same story that the old guy was saying at the beginning of the movie to um, Stevie Wayne's son. So I found interesting that we're getting these kind of backstories to the town or the the ancestors of this men, but we're not getting the backstories of the women, right? Which we already talked I about, do think right?
0: that's very interesting.
1: So, the I don't know, I this time I really paid attention to the backstory of, of what happened with these uh-huh. men in the boat, where essentially the ghosts were yeah. coming back. Um, and it, my understanding was that the people in the boat were sick with leprosy. Oh. Is that what you gathered? I'm not entirely sure about this. I okay. should have rewound. Uh-huh. But they were—they had some sort of sickness that was like some illness. Uh-huh. I thought it was leprosy. Oh. But they had money. Yes. They wanted to come in there and settle in the town and bring their money. But the people who in the town... Which are the ancestors of Father Merlot decided? We don't want that fucking disease in here. Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. So they
1: let they let them astray with the light of the lighthouse or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, This is the same story that the guy was telling at the beginning of the movie, and this is why they crashed and died, and they stole their money. Essentially, they killed them to steal their money, right? But the part that I latched onto was the fact that there was an illness of some sort that they were trying to avoid.
0: Well, to me, OK, so maybe this is me being super um, just woke about it, which, you know, once again, listeners, we're not into cancel culture or anything like that. We're just discussing how these themes could be seen as or be interpreted as problematic. I mm-hmm. took it as that they didn't have a sickness, that this is a falsehood that they told everybody else. I thought it was just like a straight up, these are foreigners on a different boat. We don't want them here. So they had lied ah. and so there's a sickness. And so, oh, in order to protect the town, for me watching this in this modern day and age, I thought, you know, and it's very clear that the, the priest is a Malone Irish. I mean.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no.
0: So I, I really thought that it was a, let's. Keep our whole little culture pure, even though we terrorize Native Americans. You know, we think that the white man. So is they it. Need,
1: they're bro- So the town is broke. They need money, and they basically bring foreigners, but then they don't want them. No, they, nope, they just money.
0: take the money and whatever they can. And they don't care about them. I mean,
1: interesting. So that's even better. So
0: I could be co- I could be so wrong. No, no, <laughs> it's just that, this, it's just what I, I interpret too. that as. My,
1: my thinking went to. COVID-19, like, we don't want (gasps) foreigners bringing disease, but we want their money, meaning China. Wow, we went everywhere. Which fits your story as well. We want your money, but we don't want you. Yeah. Racism coupled with Mm. interests and money. Right. So, but anyway, the the themes are there, right? It's like, they want these people's money, they don't want them. Right. They got rid of them and they stole their money. Um, and so, of course, the story is that these ghosts, men who died in this like shipwreck, are the ones seeking revenge on the anniversary of the town's founding, because mm-hmm. the fa- the town was founded on the death of these people. He says we're honoring murderers, right? Um, and six must die, and all this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I thought it was this entire backstory. Was fascinating because immediately you again go into an allegory of the United States being built on the blood of others. Yes. For economic gain and yes. there is this sense of um, Americans being all about business and economy, on that supersedes human life or diversity or immigrants. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is in this movie. Like I, I, I love that you brought this point, where like, huh. oh yeah, we don't want these immigrants, but we want their money. Right, so we're gonna kill them and take their money. It's a theme that's so going you...
0: to this day. I mean,
1: and that's exactly that's yeah, that's the story see? of the United look States. See, look at you, the
0: fog. We we have our eye on you. We know the story you're telling. <laughs> we're I...
1: gonna enslave black people for money. Like yeah.
0: Exactly. It's always
1: that right? trade-off. Mm-hmm.
0: A transaction. They live. Uh, they view a minority or somebody foreign or threatening to them as a capital gain or a threat. So to piggyback off of what you were saying of how, you know, we're apologizing for the sins of our fathers and America is a country built on blood and not really acknowledging that we oppressed other cultures. And I mean, it's not just America. There are other countries that have famously done this. Um, it's just kind of this time span and also etiquette and respect of how you go about acknowledging the atrocities of the past. And America, because we're such a new baby country, we are having a bit of a hard time acknowledging our, our badness, what we've done to our own mm-hmm. people, let alone everybody else, but to our own people. And I picked up that heavily in parts of this movie more so where Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis you know their first introduction and they're all buttoned up in their little pencil skirts and everything and doing their okay Antonio Bay is celebrating is it the the hundred year mark is that what they're the doing hundred,
1: yeah the hundred year anniversary yeah from its uh, founding
0: yes and we all know that you know our founding fathers have a complicated past. <laughs>
1: If you haven't seen Hamilton, you should.
0: Yes, there you go. (laughs) Shout out to your hometown hero.
1: (laughs) Lin-Manuel Miranda. From Puerto Rico. Yes. Like me.
0: Yes. Both shining stars. I love them both. Uh, So there's this one scene that kind of hit differently for me in 2020. It's just a really quick throwaway. Janet and uh, Nancy Loomis, they peek under this grand statue. I don't even remember what the statue looks like if they unveil it at the end. I totally do you remember this or no?
1: I don't think they ever show it. Really? They tease you with it there was that scene at the beginning where they go and they're like, Oh, here's this. And they like peek. Over and they it say, and Oh, like I'm afraid
0: to look. And I'm like, me too, sister, which oppressor are we going to honor today? Like what, what white man is this?
1: So, but did I, they, they unveil me, it? This, I don't think they show it. And I think this reminds oh. me of the pro. I mean, I'm in North Carolina mm-hmm. the fucking center of statue drama.
0: Right. right.
1: Cause, um,
0: um and i'm from georgia i know that those statues those little confederate soldiers on sitting on so many horses on every other block i mean come on
1: so we have the granddaddy of confederate statues the silent sam who was removed which was removed um i think two years a year and a half ago oh and yeah. it was in the middle of the university it was a big it was deal whole motherfucking thing yeah so when i see this scene that you're talking about where they're like venerating this statue i think the statue is supposed to venerate the founding fathers, Mm -hmm. and this is why the priest has such a problem with going there, and he's like, no, these are murderers, fuckers, fuck them. Um, So it's clearly something related to the figures that founded the town that we now know Mm -hmm. are murderers. So I think the statue reflects these guys, the six.
0: And it reflects uh, how you want to filter history. Like you can tell mm-hmm. the facts, but you're not telling all the facts. You're not telling the facts on both sides. Exactly. So it's whoever exactly. has the power is going to write history to, you know, their benefit, to their perspective. And and this is what I wanted to bring up with you. Uh, I just discovered. I I had no idea. Whenever I went to Germany, there was this museum in Berlin. I God, I really wish I could have gone. It's uh, I think it's called the Citadel. It is where. Mm-hmm. Problematic and horrible monuments and statues go to die. <laughs> so all these countries, like different countries have these huge statues and they're like, well, these cause really negative feelings in our people and we can't have this because they'll think that we're honoring them. What the hell do we do with this? And so there's this, um yes, yeah, called the Citadel, I believe. It's in Berlin and there's a statue of Vladimir Lenin standing and so just the head of it is in there and there's like a 400 pound bronze bell with a swastika on it, you know, all that Nazi angry sculpture that, you know, is around there in Poland and whatnot. Um, And it's just locked up in this museum. And kind of like the the cursed museum that the the Warrens had. <laughs> they had mm-hmm. like Annabelle and haunted grandfather clocks, like these demonic possessions, you know? So they're all in this space. And what they do is they encourage you to touch them, to climb over it, to punch it if you want. They don't care what you do to it. And it's, ah. right? Because they want you to talk about your feelings and how it makes you feel and, and the whole thing is to document how history actually happened, who was in power, and why they were telling the story they were telling. And they try to, I mean, a lot of these monuments are big, like the, the linen head. There was a picture of kids before COVID. They're climbing all over his head like a jungle gym. And it was just such a liberating looking picture. I thought that was really cool. And th- their whole thing is, I mean, if it's a smaller object, it's at eye level. They don't want it to look down upon you. Like you have to look at it eye level and confront the object.
1: Oh. Wow, this right? is incredible.
0: And and I that's a kind of a suggestion with some of these Confederate monuments of like some people thought compelled enough to erect the statue and then this is you want to say something. What's going on? No, I see that look I, I on your face. To, sorry. I wanted to say
1: <laughs> I have things you to have say. You have things no. to say. So this this, ma- this museum that you went
0: to is it no no site? i wanted to go to it i just discovered that it exists recently we were in berlin so, we didn't fucking know that it was there i was like oh Man. it's in
1: berlin i thought it's not i thought at first I, because i know you also went to poland so i yes. thought maybe it was at, in warsaw or something.
0: no no Either so it's in, in berlin
1: okay yeah um that's fascinating. I'm um, no I was just thinking so my friend Anna Krakus, who's a professor. Shout
0: out Anna. Anna,
1: shout out to Anna who just started her new awesome job at the University of Copenhagen. Who moved
0: Denmark. during COVID. COVID yes. to Copenhagen.
1: Yes, she moved while well, listening moved to first Cody Carpenter. To Sweden <laughs> and now in Copenhagen. So she wrote a book, her new book. She's a Scholar and mm-hmm. professor like myself, and one yes. of my mentors. And she's also um, very
0: hip to the vibe. I, I like her a lot.
1: And she, yeah, we should bring her on this yeah. at some point. She ha- will have a lot of things to say. Oh my gosh. Um, she like, You guys are too drunk so for me. She's, she like, wrote, she's like, I'm an academic.
0: I, I'm scholarly. You guys are messes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's one of the cool ones. She can join the group. Yeah. Um, so she wrote a book that I, uh, her second book, uh, academic book. Is on museums and oh. um, collecting things and oh, stuff like that. Okay, and so I, this is when you were explaining this museum. I was like, "Oh my god, this, she should include she this." She a hundred percent
0: has to know about this. This seems like an amazing museum.
1: So she talks a lot about um, Holocaust museums in Poland and stuff mm-hmm. like this, and and all the problems and how the country or the the agendas of the political agendas of. Mm-hmm. Um, restoring historical memory and so all these things. And all these, like, very interesting kind of ways of looking at the way museums are set up uh-huh. to remember history. Right. Because it
0: shouldn't be, like, on the, the... It shouldn't be, like, who the victor is and that's their story or who had the most money at the time, but it, that's the way it happens.
1: Exactly. And there's that, there's that kind of authorship to the people who make the museum and what they're doing. And I there, really like And it doesn't that. have to be a bad, like... Intent, but it is an intent. Someone's trying to say oh, something. Right. Okay. So, museum.
0: so okay. Take all these Confederate statues, which we could go on forever about this, but I'll keep it super simple and to the point. That I grew up in Georgia, so yeah, I know about all this stuff. And even as a kid, I'm like, okay, I'm learning that the South didn't win. So, why are we having these generals and soldiers? And I remember asking my parents about this, of just like, oh, these people fought for the right to own people and that doesn't seem very nice i remember being you know very cognizant as a kid that it caused discomfort and um in a lot of people i was around and and i definitely did but uh but i was just learning as a child of just like okay i I can understand the significance of, of like a battle being won and this and that but no it is rooted out of hardcore racism anyway that says like oh it's you know, our culture, our Southern heritage. No, it's not. There was a battle. It lasted what? I mean, it, everybody thinks that the Civil War lasted, you know, years and years. It was a very quick war. And, you know, the the Confederate flag still flies today. And it was like, it was, you guys so, lost, man. Like, stop it.
1: <laughs> stop. It's almost like, are we still in this war? We kind and of we, are. Like we, still we are. We still are. We absolutely
0: are. Because, uh i learned i wasn't even going to bring this up actually but um i know from being a child of georgia that almost i want to say like 90 percent of the statues that are erected in the south are funded by the daughters of the confederacy
1: this is the same thing here yeah i think no way it's the is it the daughters of the sons we have the sons oh, of the confederacy okay like streets here I see it all the time and there's like signs that yeah. let you know that this is happening Right, is owned by these people
0: by these people yeah you know, like Robert E. Lee Way and all this and I understand uh, there are people that try to argue that oh this was my great 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 granddaddy and he was a general a military training like they argue for some kind of positive point but it's like no they fought for hatred the entire civil war was not about oh we want to have our own distribution of these goods and cotton and this it was about owning a race that's what it was about here's
1: why father malone when he realizes (laughs) thank you for his ancestors (laughs) have done he says we are honoring Murders. He goes fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. Like people in this house should acknowledge the fact that they are honoring fucking racist Mm -hmm. (laughs) murderers. So this movie is ahead of its time. It is, or maybe not ahead enough. (laughs) I don't know. But (laughs) I I was. it's, It's the the priest is acknowledging the fact that he his entire life is built on honoring. Something that is wrong. Right. I'm trying to say that to Nancy Loomis mm-hmm. and Janet Lee, who are organizing this event for this statue, saying what you guys are honoring today is wrong. Mm-hmm. And You need to fucking tear Own that fucking statue down <laughs> before you even unveil it. <laughs> and but Janet Lee is like. Oh. Father, we're going to leave now. We're going to call the psychiatrist, the psychologist. Maybe he should pay you a visit. You're a little quick right. Yeah, the end of that whole scene was, like,
0: really just a, a kind of funny game changer. She's like, we're going to go.
1: Yeah, we're going to, like, <laughs> exit stage left. Yeah, and they get You're out. You're not like- okay. You're drinking too much. I don't know what's wrong. But I actually think that Father Malone is one of the best characters in the movie because he is having a reckoning with himself and like fucking accepting what the fuck is going on and why this is all happening. He's aware of shit. He's like, fuck no, we fucked this up. Mm-hmm. We're guilty of it. Da 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 So I that again, that's very interesting. And then meanwhile, Janet Lee with her, you know, tippy her head hair. Um <laughs> is not aware and fun fact her husband is the guy so one of the things that's interesting about this movie that you don't notice in a first viewing is Mm a connection between disparate characters Mm -hmm. janet lee's husband is one of the the guys who dies in the boat at the beginning of the movie did you catch that i did not catch that and in fact he's the guy who says that he's not so happily married and drinking it Budweiser oh. remember they have the guy comments about his yes. marriage
0: yes yes that's
1: Janet Lee's husband oh. and it's interesting because these connections are made in this kind of subtle way like he mentions his marriage and then she mentions oh my husband's on the boat
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I haven't heard from him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then Loom's like should you go home like they have the, all these and eventually, she finds out that he's dead. Mm-hmm. Or, not that he's dead, but he's missing. I think. Cause they well, never yeah, because I hear body. her perspective,
0: so and I also feel like she's saying things. You know, how people say things to the the air just to reaffirm their feelings about something. It can totally be bullshit. You know, they're just self affirming alive. Like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's good. I, I just saw her
2: perspective. Yeah. I didn't realize so that they actually she's showed. It supposed him. to be.
1: I, I mean, I can't remember. I think i know they find the one body when jamie lee's there and the mm-hmm. body goes mm-hmm. um but if i'm not mistaken i think they confirm yes they know that the three people in the boat are dead so they, they mm-hmm. mention this later on in the movie right out, the six who must die there's right. one missing yeah so so yeah so Janet Lee at one point in the movie learns that she's a widow and mm-hmm. she ignores that and continues on with trying to do her job mm-hmm. of unveiling the statue,
2: yeah. and
1: this is why Nancy was like, "No, you should go home." Like you, you know.
0: But once again, reestablishing now. that theme of a like, a woman's got some shit to do, <laughs> like she's she's willingly going throughout her plight of I got to organize this town celebration. I'm going to do this. I mean, these women have a job to do. It's not out of obligation. It's you know who they're choosing to be.
1: Exactly. So. I find this because the, the story of this movie is so elusive. It's, so here's my larger point about The Fog. Okay. I see The Fog. It's, it's co-written by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. It's mm-hmm. the same people who made Halloween, pretty mm-hmm. much. Almost the same cast. In a way, it's the same movie.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: But not, not that it's the same movie, but it has the same creative heads behind it. No, I'm with you. So I equate the fog to a a force like Michael Myers. It's this thing that shows up in a small town.
0: And relentless, has history. And
1: relentless and moves and fucking is unexplainable. Mm -hmm. And is there something, they're just fucking getting you and you don't know what it's going to get you. Uh So a lot of this movie has a similar setup to Halloween in that there's like these unsuspecting people in a small, idyllic town. But the difference is that Halloween was about teenagers talking about boys in high school and babysitting, whereas in The Fog, the 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 canvas is a little bit larger and mm. there's like these all these disparate ages and there's a boy, there's an older woman, there's all these different. It's a little bit more ambitious. Right. In terms of because it's almost like the way John Carpenter and Deborah Hill paint these Towns that where this intruding force comes in, it's like there's this oh, normal life is going on. People are having natural conversations. So, this one is a little bit more ambitious. Is that you know, there's this DJ, there's this, her son, there's people who are preparing for the 100th celebration of the town, mm-hmm. and they're all kind of going about their day. Mm-hmm. And it is also an event movie, which is something I wanted to talk about. Okay. So, a lot of um, contemporary American slasher films take place around a one night or two nights Mm -hmm. it's around an event and it's almost like real time okay
0: okay you have my attention
1: halloween was you know takes place on halloween and this is april 21st and this is april 21st which is not a national holiday that we know of but it is this town's very important july you, 4th date do
0: you think that this like is a july
1: 4th do you think them.
0: this is a uh, yeah i wrote that in my notes of like it's like july 4th the shark is still in the water and they want to reopen the beaches and going to covid land i'm like okay i'm just gonna no step no off but i think that.
1: in a way this 100th anniversary of antonio bay is totally code for independence day mm-hmm.
2: absolutely
1: absolutely mm-hmm. And the fact that we celebrate the founding of a country that was, you know, founded on a genocide. Well,
0: 4th of July was very different this year. It was not, I mean, everybody was celebrating in a COVID way, but some people were choosing not to celebrate. People were like, I want a different America. People wanted to, you know, to see a little reform before they could fully celebrate. Um, For the event movie, I wanted to ask you, do you think that this was a storytelling device for this movie or do you think it was like hey halloween worked so you know well let's make a Burn own thing
1: like why not well i think (laughs) lightning strikes twice it's almost like it's ingrained in what the slasher film is about but it's weird because it's the fog a slasher film there's no slasher killer it's the fog
0: but they do die but,
1: pretty but, grisly but deaths they, with hooks but, and whatnot. Yeah, so the guys who come out of the fog are basically like the I know what you did last summer killer <laughs> in a way, right? What with are the you hook waiting for? Um, <laughs> well, we'll have to do. that. You just
0: that thought one. about bouncy, bouncy. Yeah, <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt. Kimber always says that she's oh, just a bouncy. Love. She's just a bouncy girl. <laughs> G-
1: Jim was asking me the other day. Actually, I had a bouncy, bouncy moment because. Um, <laughs> Jim was like, why is it that you and Jennifer call her bouncy, bouncy? And I'm like, sit down for the story. <laughs> and, he, and I explained to him all about the client list. The, the client, client list, Client what it's list. yep. And how we try to watch that and what happened. So. <laughs> and how she just bounced everywhere. She
2: just and bounced. he was
1: laughing. He I was know. Like, That's why. And I'm like, yes. Yep. Bouncy, bouncy. Yes. She acts with her bounce, in, at least in that show. I don't know if anywhere else.
0: And but. a lot of things bounce on her.
1: Yeah, she just bounces <laughs> she's everywhere. She's just a bouncy. It's a bouncy show. Not, bouncy. not
0: a lot of thought applied to anything.
1: Anyways. Where is she? I don't I know. I'm don't... curious
0: now. Well, they're rebooting Party nowadays. of Five. I'm sure she's going to show up on that. I don't know. I haven't but researched the, that. Isn't too, the probably.
1: reboot of Party of Five like... Like Hispanic or something?
0: I have no clue. I have no idea. I I didn't really watch it when it came out. I think that was a little too before my my team beautiful. No, oh, you mean the, the original, yeah, the I original. really, all, never, all I never, even though we love somewhere. Nev, we love Nev Campbell, you know, hello, so scream. To
1: me is where Nev came from, and that's all yeah. I know about. It. I so we can be really thankful
0: for it. Either. We're grateful for that. Wait, okay, let's get back to this. Okay, yes. So I, I do, so. well, I want to point out one thing that we haven't discussed are the shots, the beautiful photography of this mm-hmm. movie. And what you were saying about Halloween, Halloween has a very distinct feel, a very gritty feel. Um, and without the cop-outs of handheld, I feel like handheld is cop-out a lot of the time, unless it's for a specific emotional moment. But um, Halloween has a nice feel. I really enjoy it. And their are wide shots of Michael Myers and suspense and shadows. For this, whenever they show the lighthouse, the fog, the ocean, anything still, those phones ringing and then everything, like pretty much white shots. Um, And there's one where Adrienne Babo is going down the steps to the White House. It is so beautiful. It is just glossy and still and peaceful and just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And of course, I know that this moment of calm is soon to be erupted with a Mm -hmm. sound, and heightening that terror. I mean, it's a really great horror device. But I want to say that I think the fog, as a whole, I think the fog represents nostalgia. And you and I have talked very much ah. in depth of nostalgia. So I think. Well,
1: it definitely represents the past. Yeah. Right, because the the ghosts come out of the fog. Right. right? It's the past of the town that. Right, they haven't dealt with, that they need to deal with. Yeah. Right? Their, their horrible past.
0: So I, I do think that, you know, the, the fog rolls in. Nostalgia creeps up on you, and everybody thinks of things with wonderful memories. The highlight reel is going. You don't think of the bad shit. Like, that's what I equated this entire, you know, horrible death on the ship and on the land and all this stuff. Like everybody's just like, oh, our land is great. It's a beautiful coastal town. Nothing bad happened. Okay, well, this one bad thing happened. And and it's like, no, this was probably devastating for a large population and it seems pretty grisly. And then the history comes back It repeats itself and it's pretty gnarly and people are shocked. And and so every time they kind of go to the idyllic fog and the ocean, it's just, I think it's that glossy filter of people remember things the way they want to. That's how it remains ah. to them.
1: So, adding to that point, yeah. first of all, before I add to that point, mm-hmm. it is this exact same cinematographer as Halloween, by the Yes, way. I mean, I- Dean I, Kendi.
0: it is. It's still um, consistent, but different, which I appreciated.
1: Same, same cinematographer, same productions. It's yeah. the same people. Literally the exact same. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a repeat. Um, so uh, his composition of white shots. Right. I mean, this is in collaboration with both Deborah and John Carpenter, but mm-hmm. there's definitely a team of an aesthetic to these films, yes. which I like. I like the, the yeah, connection like it's, it is very
0: heavily discussed. I feel before they actually shoot it to get that yeah. you're in the present moment. I mean, I, I really do think it's a like uh you know it's a key storytelling component
1: so going off this observation that you had about nostalgia and the fact that the fog itself is a fo- because i this is actually a very interesting point because nostalgia is comforting but it's false comfort right mhm mm-hmm. so when nostalgia comes into the picture it is comforting but it is it's It's a haunting, totally, that you don't realize is a haunting. You find comfort in it, like a blanket. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: it's really harmful at the same time. Right. So, and the fog is totally like that. There is the movie presents, initially, the fog as a kind of blanket that rolls over the
0: sea.
1: Right? I like that. Yeah. So, it's something... When I think of fogs in in general, outside of this movie, Mm -hmm. there is a comforting aspect of the fog Mm -hmm. before it is terrifying. So I think you're right. Like the fog is familiar. The fog rolls in and you face it as a familiar fiend or friend, right? right? Both at the same time. Yes. Because I was
0: about to say, it's a bitch to drive through. Like, ugh. You can kill yourself in it. It's awful. You have to have your high beams on.
1: But, but we can make, we that, can stretch
0: that out into being like, oh, you have to trudge through. You have to trudge through that nostalgia yeah. <laughs> and acknowledge everything it, bad. Acknowledge and you might kill a drifter in the middle of the road, but what do you do then?
1: So the fog is the nostalgia, but then the people who come out of the fog... Are the actual past coming yes. to bite you back? Yeah, literally. Yeah. Right. As they come to claim the gold and all that. Right. But um, I, of course, maybe a little bit too obvious. I compared the fog to the spreading of the virus right now. Right. So it's right. this thing that's a silent um, spreader hmm. that rolls in without anybody noticing. And all oh. of a sudden it's fucking everywhere causing trouble.
0: And moisture based. So,
1: and moisture, <laughs> <laughs> and also, I the reason I connected the the fog to the coronavirus right now was also because I think Stevie Wayne says at, at the end of the movie that the 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 fog is gone.
0: <gasps> I have that written down. Yes, and talk about it.
1: It's like one day this will go away. Yep. Who said that? I don't know. Right.
0: I and I took that as a message of hope.
1: She also kind of acknowledges the trauma of exactly. what happened that night. Exactly. She's like
0: the one person that's just like, Oh my God. Like we went through all of that and I tried to warn everybody about everything, so let's hope for the best, but who knows.
1: But then well, also now it's gone, but we're traumatized.
0: Yeah. Too. She, and we she need says, to acknowledge
1: that trauma.
0: She says, uh, something came out of the fog and tried to destroy us. Like, she acknowledged all of the events that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you want to, on an end note, do you want to talk about that struggle where the father has like the, the end scene, the ghosts? You know we're attacking her um, on the lighthouse all that stuff and she bought them off herself she didn't need anybody to intervene pretty much i mean tom atkins has some action sequences in that Um, but the father struggling with the gold cross with the sailor ghost
1: so at the end two things they all convene at the church with the repentant priest who cannot deal with the guilt of his ancestors
0: and honestly in that in that end scene, Hella Holbrook, when everybody like is freaking out, I think it's Janet Lee in the church, right? She's freaking mm-hmm. out that this is happening and he takes the cross and he just goes to the closet. He has a moment of, okay, bye and I and I wrote my note. Like, what? What is he doing? He's just piecing out. It's like every man for himself. I had no idea what he was doing. And then I saw he was entering the main room. He was trying to save this cross. And I don't know if mm-hmm. it was out of his own selfishness for the town, for himself. But then he sees all the sailor ghosts. And then they struggle. They struggle over it in this is an epic battle. What did you think
1: about that? With the so... They discover at the end that the gold is the cross, which, again, we need to talk about the significance of the fact that the stolen gold is melted into this cross, which... Well, it's ironic. Pa-
0: it's ironic. It's a material what? possession that's coveted versus spirituality and faith that you have
1: exactly. to just
0: believe in and hope for the best, you know?
1: And here's the strange part. if. The gold that they stole, they didn't actually use for anything. No, just sitting they around. They turned it into religion. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> they turned it into belief and faith. And this is why the priest is the most conflicted character, because mm. at the end of the day, gold wasn't really used for anything economic. It was used to create followers i don't know it's just weird the connection between the gold yeah
0: i found that problematic as well i I was just like huh okay it's
1: like what does this mean so the gold becomes the religion and so the religion is false because it comes from stolen oh your ideals
0: like are just you're just hypocrites i mean I, I and so he
1: wants to he feels guilty. he wants to give it back.
0: Yeah, I went so many different directions hey. on that one because i'm I'm glad that you were a little hazy on that as well, because when they're struggling over the cross and how the gold became the cross, I was just thinking, okay, this is hypocritical. does this is this is kind of like the 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 Battle of gays in church of how the longest time you were just. You know, a, a sinner if you were gay. And of course, in the South, I know many gay people to go to conversion therapy, and it's mm-hmm. so traumatic. But then as time goes on, people want to be cool and march in, you know, gay pride parades. And it's like, all right, well, I remember when you traumatized my friend in a church basement, but I'm glad that's all grady. I mean, I guess you learned from your sins you went on with your life. So I thought that it was kind of a, a clashing of the old ideals with the new ideals, especially when they're struggling so violently against it. And money and religion, all these, all these things that just should not be in the same room together,
1: really. Exactly, and it makes you think about how they maybe are in the same room together. Yeah. Maybe in ways that you don't think about. So the the source of economy is connected to the source of religion, right? And I then, mean, but the strange part is that there's no one, no one in this movie is very religious. Yeah. Not even goddamn priest. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's, they're so concerned with what's—I mean—with the past. Actually, the focus of everyone is this veneration of the past, or this confronting of the past, or the the guilt that the past brings to you
2: mm-hmm.
1: because these things were had happened. Mm-hmm. But no one—I for a movie that heavily features a church as its main. Location and where the climax of the movie takes place, whereas a priest is one of its main characters, whose storyline is about a priest discovering these things about the past. No one was religious. Did you feel no? There was no religion. No,
0: no. It was more so, about country and pride. I, I did not pick up on religion at all, even though a lot of the sequences take place in a church.
1: In a church, Th- that church is treated. Completely, none really. Yeah, it's way.
0: just like it's, it's a house. I mean, the door is open; in, people are hanging out. I mean, nobody really treats it as a sacred building.
1: In fact, they just spend most of their time in the in the other room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The other chamber. Yeah, that's where most of the characters they they spend very little time. They usually move away from the actual what do you call it, the church area, and they go into that extra room. So, geographically, it's already very strange. And also, about this ending, I found, I've always found very interesting on this movie that it kind of... A lot of the storylines that were developed just mm-hmm. kind of are dropped.
0: I, yeah, I agree with that. I thought... Like, poof, yeah, dropped. Like, we're done now.
1: J. J. Millie and Tom Atkins' is whatever romance that we're having yeah. dropped. Is J. Millie going to go to Vancouver? Drop. We don't know. Is Stevie Wayne going to meet her son or even know anything about him? Dropped. <laughs> it's like it was It's true. It, all of their stories are kind of like paused because yeah. the, the the conflict between Hal Holbrook and the pirates kind of takes center stage as the concluding point right. of the story. Right. And then, of course, there's that epilogue where they come back and they chop his head and I that's know. how the movie
0: ends. And I, I didn't like that as a final shot, honestly. I just thought it should have ended with the struggle of the cross and Adrian Babo being like, oh, something came out of the fog and tried to destroy us. Like, I thought it should have ended on a different note. I didn't like that final
1: I kind of slash feel moment. that that's probably a tacked on ending too. You think? They ha- this happens a lot with them. They need something to leave the people thrilled. Hmm or whatever. Gotcha. So I think, I don't think that was the ending of the script. I think that's something that It's they, probably, they I, I agree I with on. you. I, that makes yeah. more
0: sense to me. Well, I'm gonna end that thought with um, just the philosophy that horror thrives when there's an oppressive government. And what mm-hmm. scares us says a lot about society. And society is pretty fucking scary right now. <laughs> and this
1: movie came out in 1980, which 1980. is when Reagan took power. It
0: was the beginning of Reagan economics. Reaganomics.
1: Reaganomics. So maybe you could this not have said was...
0: that, drunker. Say so Yes. <laughs> these <are> Reaganomics. <laughs> Jesus.
1: Reaganomics. Talk
0: no. about a decade of excess. <laughs> you have excess in your glass at this moment.
1: <laughs> what can you do? Someone wanted to bring back Reaganomics and Reagan bullshit. So here we are.
0: Here we are.
1: Um, and the fog rolls in. And then one day, as Stevie Wayne says at the same time, one day it will go away. <gasps> Hopefully. On November 3rd. (laughs) Well, I think that was... (laughs) Signing off from the witching hour. This is Stevie Wayne.
0: Thank you for listening to us. And so from the top of the world, it's Jennifer Foster and Dr. G. Guillermo Rodriguez. We're going to sign off. And up next is K-Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s. See you next time when we discuss The Dead Zone.
1: Bye. <laughs>